Welcome to the anointed and transformational teaching ministry of Pastor Wale Akinshiku, Senior Pastor of House of Praise Mississauga, Canada, a parish of the Redeemed Christian Church of God. It is our prayer that as you listen to this message, that you will be empowered to achieve your dreams and fulfill your destiny. God bless you as you listen. So we've been looking at the topic, God, the Holy Spirit. Um, looked at two parts, so today we're going to look at part three, God, the Holy Spirit. I'll review a little bit of what we did last week, and then we'll get into uh, a, a little bit more this week. So the purpose and work of the Holy Spirit in believers is a subtitle that we've been looking at for the last two weeks, and today is going to be part three, and by God's grace, month of February happens to be a month where people are more attuned to relationship building. So I'm going to start a new series on Sunday by God's grace, if Jesus tarries, titled For the Love of God. <laughs> it will interest you, trust me. I'm going to talk about marriages, I'm going to talk about all kinds of relationships, I'm talking about every kind of thing. So you keep your marriage, stay in your marriage for the love of God. <laughs> Hallelujah. So the things you wanted to run away from, just stay in it for the love of God. Hallelujah. So I don't like my spouse anymore, but stay there. You see, you're getting it. You're, you're preaching it with me already. <laughs> it's going to be interesting. Thank you, Lord. Purpose and work of the Holy Spirit in believers. All right, so let's understand the basics. When God created man, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God said, let us create man in our own image. Let us create man in our own image. This is God having a conversation with himself. All right? Elohim, uh, you've, done, you've learned that here at the Academy of Faith. All right? You've learned that at the Academy of Faith here. Elohim is a plural for God, actually. So, Eloha is a singular Okay, in the Hebrew, Elohim is plural. So Elohim, that means God the Father spoke to God the Son, God the Son, and, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Son spoke to God the Holy Spirit and God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit spoke to God the Father and God the Son. So in the Godhead of the Trinity, they say, let us make man in our own image, after our own likeness. All right, and verse 27 of Genesis chapter 1 says, male and female, he made them. Uh, male and female, he made them. Then in verse 28, it tells us that he blessed them and told them to be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, and then have dominion. All right? And then have dominion. So God said, let's make man in our own image, after our own likeness. So man then is created in the image of God. So man is created in the image of God. And who is God? The Bible tells us in John chapter 4, verse 24, Jesus Christ speaking says, God is spirit. God is not a spirit. God is not the spirit. God is just simply spirit. In other words, every other entity is defined by him. God is spirit. So that means that man then is spirit. Man is spirit because we were created in the image of God. But this is where I'm really going. God shared a lot of his characteristics with us because we're created in his image. So we're self-aware. We have a will. We have a mind. 
Okay, we have emotions. So that's why the Bible says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. That means there's emotions in God. God has a will. We know that, you know, we pray according to his will. God thinks, the Bible tells us that in Psalm 96, you know, uh, Psalm 92 verse 6, it tells us that his thoughts are very deep. So God shares a lot of his characteristics with us, but there are seven characteristics that God has he did not share with man. Are you with me? He did not share with man. If you have only one of these, you're already God. So today, let's find out if you're God. Let's find out if you're the Almighty. Seven exclusive characteristics of God he did not share with man. So they're all there on the screen. God is omnipresent. In other words, he's everywhere at the same time. So that already rules you and I out. All right? He's omniscient. He knows everything about everything. That also rules you and I out. It's omnipotent. That's the word almighty. He can do everything on every issue. Uh, you know, I've said this here a few times. The Bible is a compendium of what God, how God wants man to relate with him and what God wants man to know about him. But the Bible is not a record of everything God can do. God can do more than what is recorded there. But that is all that is sufficient for our relationship with him. That's what it has captured in the Bible. But God is omnipotent. Our Lord God, the omnipotent reigns. God is immutable. He does not change. What he was ages, eons ago, all right, is what he still is today. He said, I'm the Lord, I change not. God is eternal, all right? God does not dwell in eternity. Eternity dwells in God. God is eternal. God is transcendent, you know, it transcends every single thing. And these two, next two things, it's amazing. That's what makes God a wonder. The heaven of the heavens cannot contain him. You know, it's transcendent. He's outside of his creation. He dwells, First Timothy chapter 6, verse 16. He dwells in unapproachable light. It's transcendent. It's completely outside of his creation. At the same time, it's immanent. He's the same one that is Emmanuel, God that dwells with us. He's the same one in the, in the wonderful, miraculous way that came and dwelt in the womb of a virgin. You see? These seven characteristics are unique, exclusive to God. No other being has this. All right, the devil is not omnipresent, the devil is not omniscient, he knows not, not he doesn't know everything. For had he known, he would not have crucified the Lord of glory. He's not omnipotent for sure. Having conquered principalities and powers, you know, God Jesus Christ made a public spectacle of them. Hebrews 2:14, he destroyed them with the heart, the power of death, that is the devil. The devil is not omnipotent. The devil changes, he was Lucifer, now he's the devil. And he's not going to live eternally, he's, he's been judged already. He's going to he's going to be in the lake of fire. You know, hallelujah. <laughs> he's not a man. He's just, he's just a, he's just a fake. He's a fraud. He's a fake. Thank you, Lord. He's the father of lies. You know. So, what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? The main purpose of the Holy Spirit is the purpose of the Holy Spirit is different from the work of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, or the expressions of the Holy Spirit. We did all of this last week. And the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit is stated in John 16, 13 to 15. This is important, and I need to go through it again with us. The one of the reasons why believers struggle is because of what the Bible says in Amos chapter 3, verse 3. Can two walk together except they be agreed? If you don't you and I don't agree with the purpose of the Holy Spirit, we will not be able to walk 
with the Holy Spirit. In other words, we will not have a meaningful, dynamic relationship with him. And the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit is, is stated by Jesus Christ in John 16, 14, when he says, he will glorify me. That's it. That's the primary purpose, okay? He will glorify. Every other thing the Holy Spirit will do, all right, is filtered or vetted by this primary purpose. In other words, everything the Holy Spirit is going to do. So, for example, the Holy Spirit is the person of the Trinity that is here on earth with us today, representing Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said, I will send him, he will proceed from the Father. Are you still with me? All right. So, is it, so everything is going to do for us today now. So we pray, Lord, I want you to be healed. Lord, I want to get married. Lord, I want a job. Lord, I want some doors to open to me. I want favor. The Holy Spirit is going to, God is going to do it through his Holy Spirit. But the first vetting process that he goes through is that, will this thing glorify Jesus Christ? Will it lift up the name of Jesus. So you and I are going to experience God to the degree to which we align with this primary purpose. Jesus must be glorified. Come on now, somebody. Jesus must be glorified. So if you if you have the mindset that you just have a challenge or something like that, and you run to God, you want God to solve it for you so that you can go back and live your life the way you were living it before, it's not God you will meet. You won't find him that way. You won't find him that way. You must have a mindset that Jesus has to be glorified. So the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus in and through the lives of believers. So there is something God wants your life. There's a, there's a dimension of glory your life should bring to Jesus. And if you will cooperate with the Holy Spirit, there is a dimension of glory your life will bring to Jesus that my life cannot bring to Jesus. So if, you, if that dimension of yours is expressed, your dimension is expressed, his dimension is expressed, her dimension is expressed, when the whole world looks at us, the body of Christ, they see Jesus glorified in different dimensions. So let's bring it home to our people. So when you're doing your 50th birthday party, when you're doing your 40th birthday party, when you're doing your wedding, and your wedding reception, the question you should ask yourself is, will this bring glory to Jesus Christ? When you dress, does this bring glory? This is not legalism. This is relationship. Does this bring glory to Jesus Christ? Lord have mercy. Let's continue. <laughs> Hallelujah. So we must cooperate. If without this cooperation, we will not see supernatural dimensions of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit prepares us and works in us. It is God that works in us, both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. It is God that works in us to will and to do according to his good pleasure. All right? So let's look at some of these works of the Holy Spirit. We've looked at a few of them already. We've looked at the fact that the Holy Spirit in us, if the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us, it will quicken our mortal bodies. And we've looked at sanctification. Don't get tired of this idea of sanctification. It is the fundamental foundational thing for you and I in Christ Jesus. Of course we're saved. Oh, thank God that we're saved. Everybody can come to Christ the way they are. God does not reject anybody. He says whosoever comes to him, he will no wise to reject. God will never reject anybody that comes to him. No matter what you have done, no matter where you're coming from, Christ will not reject you. However, he will also not leave you the same way you came. Yes, sir. 
it will also not leave you the same way you came. You know, I'm going to be teaching, I don't know if I'm teaching um, this uh, in one of our retreats or so, but you've got to understand this. You see, in the Old Testament, which is written in Hebrew, or I did the whole 39 books of the whole Old Testament, it's what is called a type of Christ. In other words, many of the things that happen in the Old Testament, okay, both lives of individuals in certain instances, and also particularly their system of worship in the Old Testament was put in place as a shadow of the real thing. So it depicts Christ. So if you look at the tabernacle where the children of Israel were worshiping, are you following? Okay, it has three three segments, okay? It has what is called the outer court, then it has the holy place, then it has the holy of holies. Between the holy of holies and the holy place is a very long, tall curtain that is, you know, Bible scholars tell us is about six inches, um, in, you know, in depth. All right. The outer court is completely open. But this is the point I want to make. The whole, there's only one way to enter that tabernacle. Only one way. There are no two gates. There's only one gate. And that gate is 30 feet in width. And that is telling you what the Bible now tells us. Jesus says that. But the Bible also tells us in Acts chapter 4 verse 12. There is no other way through which men must be saved except through Christ Jesus. And the reason why the gate was 30 feet, Jesus started his ministry at the age of 30. It depicts to tell us there's only one way you can enter that tabernacle. Now, this is the interesting part I want to tell you about sanctification. Once you enter that gate, which is Jesus, Jesus Christ said, I'm the door, John chapter 10, verse 7. Once you enter through Jesus, it doesn't end there. The next thing you are going to see is a brazen laver that is filled with water where you're going to wash. That's sanctification. If you don't wash, you can't continue your relationship. You have to wash. Once you come into the gate, the first thing right in front of you, you can't escape it, is the brazen liver with water. You have to wash. If you don't wash, you can't take your sacrifice to the altar. You can't continue the other things. You can't. Even the Levites that are coming in, the high priest, everybody must come into that gate. It's only one gate. Anyway, that's why it says it's only a thief that comes through the fence. You come into that gate, the next thing you're going to watch. Some religions still do this today. Uh, that copied it from the Bible. You have to watch. You have to watch. That's sanctification. So people that, but today now in the Western world, they want to tell us that, you know, once you come into the gate, you are saved. And once you're saved, you can, you can escape to the bruising liver and go. People that did that in the Old Testament, they met with death. They met with death. You have to wash. Sanctification is important. If Satan deceives you that sanctification is not important, he's stolen your inheritance from you. Acts chapter 20 verse 32. Acts 20 verse 32. I commend you unto God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among those who have been sanctified. Acts 20 32. That's what it says there. Okay? So you have a group... A group of believers, then you have a subset of those who have been sanctified. They are the ones that the word of God can give an inheritance to. You will not lose your inheritance in the name of Jesus Christ. I spoke about that in the last two Sundays, but um, 
I, I, I want to just this week continue and talk about transformation. Transformation is when our life start really start having an impact. Transformation. This is when our lives really start to have an impact in other people's lives. You know. Now, you know. Please understand this. Um, God will grant us grace. We will teach on this also. There's a big difference between success and significance. Many people are successful. They're not living significant lives. They're not living lives that are impacting people. Nobody's going to bed thanking God they exist. If they cease to exist, exist the only people that will remember them will just be just their children, if they remember them at all. Many people are successful. You know, they piled up cars, piled up houses, piled up money, but they, it's not touching anybody. There's nobody's life that has been touched. And we've got to be very careful not to fall into the trap of being successful without being significant. It leads to unfulfillment. You're just going to have this, this hole in your heart. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because the original blessing of God is, let's look at it, Genesis chapter 12, so that you can see it. Let's look at what God said to Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, put it on the screen for me, please, so I can read it out. Genesis chapter 12 from verse 1, please. Look at what God said. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Genesis 12, verse 1. All right. The scripture is not showing here, so put it there for me. Now the Lord said to Abraham, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house. All right? Keep going to a land that I will show you. Keep going, please. He said, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. All right? Then he says, I'll make your name great. You shall be a blessing. I will bless you a success. You shall be a blessing a significance. So when God blesses, he blesses you with the intention that you will also be a blessing. Let me say this to you. All the money that has come into your hands is not your money. Ooh. Oh, God. Thank you for the three and a half people that are clapping. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. All the money in your hand is not your money. All the shoes in your closet. Oh, boy, have mercy. They're not your shoes. All the clothes in your closet, they're not yours. You see, and when you start keeping what is not yours, one day you'll be arrested. That's when death arrests people. You know, you know, it's very, do you know it's very, very sad? It's very sad. That's why Jesus said, what does it profit the man if he gains the whole world and then loses his soul? Because the man, the story that was used in the Bible that Jesus said, you know, the man had his grand yielded plentifully. Okay, and the man said, I'm going to say to my soul, you know, be the big man, tear down the old one, and store the crops and say to my soul, live for many more years. But the reason why he yielded plentifully is that the extra it yielded was not his own. You have to be discerning enough to know that what you have right now is more than what you and your children need. So that means the rest is not your own. You are now a steward. You are now a steward to steward it for the original owner. For the earth is the Lord, the fullness thereof, the world, and those that dwell with it. How many people are you helping to go to school? How many people are you helping to go to school? How many widows are you helping? How many orphans are you helping? How many people are you helping in the community? Who, who has your life blessed? Christmas has come, New Year has come, all you have said is Happy New Year and Merry Christmas. That's cheap to say. You're beyond that. That's cheap to say. 
lift the life of somebody, put a smile on somebody's face. Come on. That's living. That's living. That's living. You know, I said that in a church like this, nobody, nobody should ever go hungry in a church like this. Nobody should lack accommodation. Nobody should lack what to wear. Nobody should lack what to eat. That's already solved in a church like this. Solved. Because we have, look at you. Look at how you're dressed. Look at how you're dressed. Your shoe alone can pay the mortgage of somebody. Don't look down, don't look down, don't look down on your neighbor. Don't look down, don't look down. Don't look down, don't look down. Don't look down. Oh boy. PWA, stay, stay on your salmon, stay on your salmon. Stay, stay on your salmon. <laughs> stay on your salmon. Trans, 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 transformation. <laughs> transformation. Transformation. Transformation is to change and conform believers. It's the process of changing and conforming believers to the image and likeness of Christ. All right? The image of likeness of Christ. You see, the gospel is designed to save us without doing anything. For by grace you are saved, not of works. So it is a free gift of God. All right? Not of works, lest any man should boast. It is a free gift of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. All right? So that's what the gospel is designed to do, to save us. But the gospel is also designed to change us. Let me say that again. The gospel is designed to save us. It's also designed to change us. Now, when the gospel is designed to save us once we believe in Christ Jesus, okay? By faith in him, put our faith in the finished work of Christ, we are saved. But the transformation process, the changing process to conform you and I to the image and likeness of Christ requires our cooperation with the Holy Spirit. If all the gospel has done for you is to save you, you have not benefited from the fullness of the gospel. If all the gospel has done is to save you, you've not benefited from the fullness of the gospel. Another way of saying that is that you have a lot of trapped potential in you that will not see the light of the day. Because the present version of you cannot enter into the fullness of what God has for you. So you have to continually be transformed. Am I speaking to the right set of people? have to continually be transformed. Colossians chapter 1 verse 6 is a scripture I love so much. It says the same good news, good news is gospel, right? The same good news that came to you, all right, is going out all over the world. So this is the original gospel, right? It is bearing fruit everywhere. What is the fruit is bearing? By changing lives. So it did not just save lives. It is also changing lives, not just saving lives. It's also changing lives. So people that knew you five years ago should look at you today and say something is different about you. People that knew you ten years ago should look at you now and say, man, there's just something different about you because your life has changed. The same crowd you used to run with before you got born again should look at you right now. Even if you, for per chance, for some reason, find yourself in their midst, you should not feel comfortable. You should not. If you do feel comfortable, you've not been transformed at all. And guess what? When you're not transformed, potential is trapped in you. 
is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives. It's bearing fruit everywhere. I love that all over the world. So whether it's in the Western world, in Africa, in Asia, in Pacific, anywhere, Australia, New Zealand, anywhere in Europe, it is supposed to be the same gospel that changed lives. Thank you, Lord. For he whom he did for know, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. All right? Conformed to the image of the son. Originally, people were called Christians because they looked like Christ. Today, people are called Christians because they don't look like him at all. Transformation also means your mindset is changed to being Christ-centered. This renewal of the mind is powerful. This is what allows the trapped potential in you and I to be released. You see, when I say the present version of you, the present version of me cannot enter into the fullness of what God has designed for us. What that means is that as we continue to walk with Christ, we are being transformed. Trans is change, formed, formation. So there's a change in our formation through the renewing of our mind. Why? Because as he thinks in his mind, so do not be conformed to this world. Therefore, whatever you do, whatever you eat, whatever you eat, <laughs> whatever you eat, or drink. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, hallelujah. <laughs> hallelujah. <laughs> Whatever you eat or, or drink, Irish cream. <laughs> hallelujah. Uh, a little bit of brandy. Thank you, Jesus. Whatever you eat or drink, whatever you also do, do all to the glory of God. This is the renewed mindset. The renewed mindset is you vet what you're doing through the lens called the glory of God. Does this bring glory to God? The little quarrels we're having, does it bring glory to God? Is it really worth it? Does it bring glory to God? Transformation. Transformation also means to enable a favorable turnaround for the believer. Now, it's amazing that Pentecostal Christians, this is the part they like. They don't like the first two parts of transformation, to be conformed to the image of God and the renewal of our mindset. It's the first two parts of transformation. Conformed to the image of God, to change. The second part, rechanging your mindset. Changing your mindset. Change your mindset from the mindset of poverty. We live in a kingdom of abundance. Change your mindset from a mindset of holding things. Change it to a mind, mindset, from a mindset of accumulating things to a mindset of distributing things. Change it from a mindset of, it is my own, ownership, 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 to a mindset of stewardship. I'm here to manage the resources of God. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world and those that dwell in it. So then, this is what now enables us to have favorable turnarounds. So all things now begin to work together for our good. Because you love God and because you are now called according to his purpose. What is the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit again? To glorify Jesus Christ. So that is when all things can work together for your good. This scripture does not work if you pray with it, confess it from now till Jesus comes, if your life is not in conformity 
with the purpose of God. It is all things only work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose, not according to their own personal selfish desires. All right? Okay, let's look at the next thing the Holy Spirit does. Rush through this. Something in the Bible, I mean, you've heard this from me several times. Called a, there's something in the Bible called edification. You see the word in the Bible called edify. The word is also translated build up. So you see build up, you know, like I just quoted Acts 20, 32. I commend you unto God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. That's edify. One of the works of the Holy Spirit, apart from salvation, apart from sanctification, apart from quickening our mortal bodies, apart from transformation, changing our formation, all right, is also edification. Please pay attention to this. Edification, building us up, educating believers about their inheritance in Christ. Please focus on the word educating. Focus on the word educating. This is very important for you to hear this. Part of the role of the Holy Spirit is to teach you and I. That means that for you to enjoy this dimension of the Holy Spirit, you must have a heart to learn. You must have an attitude to learn. The Holy Spirit is the teacher. He will teach you and I. There are many things the Holy Spirit wants to teach you, teach me, that is important for our destiny, all right, that will build us up to the point whereby you and I can lay hold of our inheritance. And the Holy Spirit does this through many means, which we might go along the line and see a few of them. Educating believers about their inheritance. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 to 11. First, let's look at verse 7. In him, that's in Christ Jesus, we have redemption. This redemption is through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his glory. Then verse 11 says, in him also we have obtained an inheritance. Thank you, Lord. All right. Can I take a few minutes and explain this to you? The book of Ephesians is the most developed treatise book that Paul wrote in terms of what will mentor believers. The book of Ephesians is the most developed, okay, the most robust. So the book of Ephesians tells you and I something, there's something unique about the book of Ephesians. And what is unique about the book of Ephesians is that it tells us what Christ has accomplished for you and I in redemption. So you will see a lot of past tense in the book of Ephesians. For example, you see one of them here, obtained. Okay? You will see a lot of this now. But Paul, the book of Ephesians, of course, is just six chapters, and those six chapters tells us uh, is broken into two. The first two chapters tells us where we're sitting in Christ. That's positional. The next two chapters tells us how to walk related with God. Chapter three and four. Okay, and the next two chapters tell us how to stand against the enemy. So we sit, we walk, and then we stand. Usually, what many Pentecostal believers want to do is that they want to stand against the devil. Stand. They love the stand against the enemy. Hallelujah. Put on the whole armor of God and stand. But Paul was telling us, you can't. You can't stand if you don't first know where you are sitting. 
You can't. You can't be practical if you don't know where you're positioned. You can't stand if you don't sit. So in Christianity, we don't stand and sit. We sit to stand. Okay? So we know where we're seated in Christ Jesus. We're seated up you know, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 19 says, you know, God raised him up, showed him, demonstrated his power, and raised Christ Jesus up far above principalities and powers and every might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in these ages, but even in the ages to come. In chapter 2 verse 6, it says, we were raised up together. We're seated in Christ Jesus. We were raised, you see, past tense again. Are you for? Past tense, raised. So, everything Everything in Ephesians, don't spoil your show, PWA, it's only one here. It's the only one you get. This one is cheaper. So cheap, $29.99. Don't come on. If you hit too much and the heel removes. What are you gonna do? Thank you, Lord. Sorry. <laughs> so <laughs> everything if you find in Ephesians chapter one and two, it's only one of them you can pray for yourself. I'm opening up the scriptures to you right now. Is the only one you can pray for yourself is the prayer Paul prayed for the Ephesian church. Ephesians chapter 1, look at it. Let's start from verse 15. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. So this is the only one you can pray for yourself. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, come on, come on, come on. Do not cease to give thanks to you, making mention of you in my what? Come on, speak to me, church. In my what? All right, see, this is the prayer he's praying now. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, oh, I love this. The Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now listen to the next thing. That your eyes of understanding will be enlightened that you may know what is the hope of your calling and what are the riches of the inheritance, the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So Paul is saying, this is the only prayer you can pray for yourself when you read that first two chapters, is to pray your eyes will be open so that you can know what Christ died for. That is now your own. That's the summary. So every other thing you see in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 2, you can't pray it for yourself. Why can't you pray it for yourself? Because it's already a fact that it's accomplished in redemption. So you cannot pray for yourself. Now, you look at Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6. Put it up now. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6 now. He said, we're raised up together and made to sit, sit, sit together in heavenly places. <laughs> and you look at it and say, oh God, <laughs> raise me up, oh God. Let me sit with Christ in heavenly places. This, you can't do this. Because it's past tense. You were raised together. All you can do when you're dealing with the fact of redemption is to believe it. You either believe it or you don't believe it. But you can't pray it. It's a done deal. Hallelujah. It's a done deal. So you are raised up together. I'm raised up. Can you say that with me? Is it okay? I'm raised up together. I'm raised up together. I'm seated in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. You are. Now, you don't need to feel like it. You just need to believe it. Because it's a fact of redemption. All right? If you don't, if you don't yet have to come to the full assurance of it, then it tells you to pray your eyes of understanding to be enlightened. Then, so that you can know what are the glory of his riches of the inheritance. Glory of your riches, the inheritance of the saints in Christ Jesus. So you pray. When you pray that your eyes be open, the assurance come to you. You begin to have the consciousness that it's true. I'm seated in Christ Jesus. But let's move on. Ephesians 1 verse 11 then. In him also we have obtained, past tense again, an inheritance. Do you have an inheritance? Yes. Come on, say to me. Do you have an inheritance? Yes. Say with me. Do you have an inheritance? Yes. Oh, can you say with me, I have an inheritance in Christ. Yes. Oh, say with me, I have an inheritance in Christ. Yes. Say with me again, I have an inheritance in Christ. Yes. 
because it is true you have an it said you have obtained once you are in him we have obtained redemption by his blood if you've obtained redemption by his blood at the same time you obtain redemption by his blood in him also also means in addition to the redemption you obtain you also obtain inheritance so you obtained redemption by his blood you obtained inheritance by his blood you obtained position sitting in him by his blood you obtained all these things by his blood thank you lord can somebody just lift up one hand and just thank jesus for what you have obtained oh thank you lord i've obtained the redemption i've obtained the inheritance i've obtained my position in christ glory to your holy name thank you lord now now we have obtained an inheritance then the question then is what is the inheritance where is it what is it where is it what is it that is where the ministry of the holy spirit comes in so the whole ministry of the holy spirit now begin to educate you and i about this package we have received and begin to tell you open it you open it you say but i don't understand what is there he begins to now teach you about this inheritance and the inheritance is yours in Christ and begins to now tell you we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He's beginning to now tell you, listen, it is yours, but it's in heavenly places. You now need to know what to do to pay the custom fee to bring it here on earth. That custom fee might be praying and fasting. The custom fee might be other things you need to do. It might be for you to give so that it can be given to you. You know, that, that is just what you have to do is the, is the means which God has put in place for what is in heavenly places to come to earthly places to be useful to you. But you have obtained an inheritance. I've obtained an inheritance. You have obtained an inheritance. It is yours. It is yours. I'm not struggling for it. I didn't qualify for it by my own power. Colossians chapter 1 verse 12. I love it. It tells me that already. Colossians 1 12. So if somebody is looking at you and saying, who do you think you are? You don't even qualify for this. I know you. You're just an immigrant. Just tell them. Colossians 1.12. I was going to say something else, but Colossians 1.12. I just remember that I'm a clergy. Giving thanks to the Father who has to be. So when somebody says you don't qualify, well, I don't know how you're judging it, but thank God you're not the one marking my paper. The Father has qualified me. Is there somebody in the house today that the Father has qualified? I want to see two people that the Father has qualified. Let me see the three people the Father has qualified to be a partaker of the inheritance. Open your mouth and just give him praise right now. For 30 seconds, give him praise right now. I'm qualified. Thank you, Jesus. Father, you have qualified me to be a partaker of the inheritance. Glory to your holy name, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Please be seated for a minute. That's why then it's possible for you to look at people and you see the way their life has evolved and developed and you say to yourself, but they don't qualify for this. Yeah, by your own marking scheme, you think they don't qualify. But God in heaven says they qualify because when I see them, I don't see them. When I see them, I see my son. When I see them, I see the sacrifice of Christ. You know, when I see them, I see the finished work of redemption. Hallelujah. You think that sister doesn't qualify? You think that brother doesn't qualify? You say, I know her. If only they know what I know about her. And God says, I know everything about her and everything she's good, what she has done, what she's doing, and what she's ever going to do. But I qualified her. That's why I can use Rahab to still be in the genealogy of Jesus. Because I qualified her. Thank you, Lord. 
I qualified her. I qualified her. You are qualified. Yeah. I'd like you to touch yourself confidently and say, I'm qualified. Yeah. Touch yourself and say, I'm qualified. Yeah. You've got to say this so that Satan can be afraid of you. I'm qualified. Yeah. Say it so that the enemy can be afraid of you. I'm qualified. Yeah. Oh, I'd like Satan to hear one more time. I'm qualified. Yeah. Hallelujah. Go with that confidence. Now, somebody's going for an interview this week. Go with that confidence. Yeah. Hey, I'm qualified. Hallelujah. Don't forget, give us again Colossians 1:12. Qualified. And I'm not asking to challenge your intelligence. You're all smarter than me. I'm asking you a simple question for med- meditation purposes. Qualified. Is it present tense or past tense? Yeah. So when you go for that interview, just understand that you've done the interview already. You, done the, you did the interview on the cross of Calvary. And when Jesus took his blood, and took it and put it in the tabernacle that was not built with hands in heaven. Okay, on the altar of Melchizedek in heaven, in the center of the throne room of God. Come for the retreat, you will hear that more about that. And put it there, it qualified you. Did I say something wrong? Uh, oh, the retreat. Uh, don't worry, don't worry, we're working on something, okay? I, 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 I. I've, I've, I've had quite a few things about that. My ears are full. So it's okay. That's why when we designed this building, I designed it, I spoke with the architect, worked with it so that I can come out, go in, and just go. <laughs> it's for such a time as this. <laughs> because if not, the way some people are dealing with this issue, the fallout of it, well, in him, can we focus? We have obtained an inheritance. So edification also means developing the believers, not just to now practically enter into it. All right? Edification means to equip you. God builds you up. We don't obtain it with our physical hands. We obtain it by our inner man. That your inner man is your spirit man. So so, so, so the, work, the, the work of the Holy Spirit is in edification is three, threefold. One, the first thing is that it makes you aware. Somebody say aware. Okay. It makes you aware of the inheritance. The second thing it does is that it builds you up to have capacity. Why? Galatians chapter 4 verse 1. Please put it on the screen for me. Galatians chapter 4 verse 1. For the hair, as long as is a child, does not differ from, this, from a slave. Though is the master of all. The hair is somebody that has inheritance. So the Holy Spirit makes you number one, aware. Number two, he builds you up so that you grow. You're no longer a child. You're no longer a child there in the Greek there. It means somebody that's unenlightened, uneducated. So he builds you up. You're not a child. You grow. You mature. You become mature. You become mature. That's the second thing the Holy Spirit does. And then the third thing he does is to now equip you with tools that you can use. Listen, this is very important because, you see, if you are not built up, you can't handle the tools. Many people want to jump from, I'm aware, to handling the tools. You can't. You can't because you have to be built up to handle it. Let me give you a simple example. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 12. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 12. Finally, my brethren, be strong 
in the Lord. That means be built up, be strong in the Lord and the power of his mind. The next verse says, put on the whole armor of God. You can't put on the whole armor of God if you're not strong in the Lord. You remember David put on the armor of Saul and he could not even walk. It was so big. You can't put on, and the armor you're putting on is not your own armor. It's the armor of the Lord. It's the armor of the Lord. So, and God is spirit. So this is not the physical armor. You have to be strong in the Lord. You have to be built up. Please don't joke with your spiritual growth. If you are not committed to spiritual growth, you are denying yourself of a lot that God wants to do in your life. So then he equips you to defend that inheritance. He begins to not give you tools. This is the main reason. So when a believer, Pentecostal believers, when they get born again, they hear people say, when they get into warfare, they hear people say, I plead the blood of Jesus. They hear people say, in the name of Jesus. And all of that. And then they take it up and they start saying the same thing. And then they start getting the same thing that happened in Acts chapter 19, verse 15. It says, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. Who are you? You've not been built up. Who are you? You're handling the tools, but you are not built up. You're handling the tools. You've not grown to that level. You are aware that it's possible and you're jumping to handle the tools. The name of Jesus is something God has given us as a gift to use, but you're not built up. Who are you? Who are you? You're not built up. So you have to understand the work of the Holy Spirit in the edification, once again, a threefold. Number one, awareness of your inheritance. Number two, building you up, okay, to mature you. Number three, equip you. Aware, mature, equip. Aware, mature, equip. Aware, mature, equip. Cram it, A-M-E. Amen. You know, that's it. Aware, mature, equip. You are aware, you are mature, then you are equipped. You are aware, you are mature, you are equipped. So don't joke with anything that will mature you as a believer. Your inner man becomes large, it becomes strong, then you can handle an equipment. You can handle a sword of the spirit. Ephesians chapter 6 says the word of God is a sword of the spirit. You can handle a sword. So when people give you prayer points, scriptures, rema, you can handle it because your inner man is developed. And you know, Christians are designed to grow in a manner that is limitless. If physically, I can't grow beyond this now. I'm 6'2". I can't grow beyond this. But, well, maybe this way. <laughs> but definitely not this way anymore. All right? But as a believer, you can still grow. And if you have been growing and you stopped growing, you can start again. As a matter of fact, I pray for you now. Whatever is putting a limit on your spiritual growth, by the authority of Christ, I remove it in Jesus' name. So you can grow. You can grow. And you're going to commit yourself to growing. You know, I, 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 I say this. Please understand me. Uh, don't, I don't want you to get this wrong. I'm not trying to put myself in the center of things. But I've got also learned that people learn from examples. People learn from examples. Okay? Um, by the grace God has administered to me, this, within the, last, um, within the last two weeks in December and now, so that's about six weeks now, I bought books worth over $1,500. And I've committed myself. This is, of course, this is my personal funds. And I've committed myself because that is how you're going to see the result. You have to grow. Whatever, you see, the frustration happens when you are made aware of something, but you're not built up to have it. Then what you're going to be doing in life is window shopping. 
You look at it, but it's there, it's in the scripture, but you can't, because you're not built up. And see, God in his mercy sometimes does not allow us to have what we're not built up to defend. Because you having it alone automatically attracts attention. <laughs> it attracts attention. It attracts attention. There are certain things that happen in your life, it attracts attention. People point to you. Say, oh, that's the sister. You know, that's the sister now that got married and within a month is pregnant. She has twins. Wow, she has twins now. Yeah. You know, you become the center of gossip. It's true. People begin to gossip about you. Oh, that's the brother now. Don't you know the brother? Which brother? You should know that brother now had that testimony. That brother. You become the topic. And you know, God said, This is my beloved son. In whom I'm well pleased. Satan said, Really? Oh yeah, let's go. And Satan started temptation in Matthew chapter 4. This is my beloved son. Satan followed. You see, there are certain things that will attract the attention of the enemy. So God has to make sure you are built up to the point where you can defend it. Because God doesn't want you to get something and then you lose it. He wants you to get it and keep it. Are you still with me now? Equipping you to defend your inheritance in Christ. So he says he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Mm -hmm. Therefore, submit to God. And come on now, resist the devil. And what will happen to him? Now, now, let's go back. So usually, again, when Pentecostals want to do these things, they just pick only one verse and look at it. Submit to God. They don't even read the first part. They just go to the, resist the devil, he will flee from you. Come on, guys, let us pray. Let's resist him. And Satan just looks and he laughs. You are resisting without grace. Then you'll be disgraced. Listen, listen. Acts of Apostles chapter 4, verse 33 says, With great power the apostles gave witness, okay, to the resurrection. And great grace was upon them. Grace, grace. Grace. The grace is in dimensions. There's grace for salvation. Titus chapter 2 verse 11. But there's grace for enablement. First Corinthians chapter 15 verse 10. I am what I am by the grace of God. And the grace of God towards me was not in vain. I labored more than the apostles. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was at work in me. So that's the grace of enablement that allows you to do what you ought to do for God to do what he wants to do. That's the grace for enablement. So you don't want to fast, you don't like fasting, grace comes, enables you to do it so that what fasting can produce, okay, it produces it in your life. Are you hearing what I'm saying? All right, that's the grace for enablement. First, don't forget Titus 2.11, the grace for salvation has appeared to all men. Grace for enablement, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10. Don't worry, it's not on my slide, I'm just giving you extra. Okay, and then there is the grace that produces the supernatural, that produces the results, basically. Now, that's what you find in Acts 4.33. So this grace that produces results is what he's talking about then in James chapter 4, verse 6. This is not the grace for salvation. This is not the grace for enablement. He says, humble yourself. James chapter 4, verse 6. He gives grace. God gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but give grace to the humble. So one of the ways to, there are two. Can I, can I continue on this part? I should just leave my slide for a minute. Let me, because I feel this is a word for somebody here. There's grace for salvation, Titus 2, 11. 
the grace of God. Titus 2.11. Titus 2.11. The grace of God. Put it on me. The grace of God that brings salvation as appeared to all men. This is the grace that is the same for all men. It doesn't matter who you are. The grace of God for salvation. So when people are talking about grace, the gospel of grace, and all, this is what they're talking about. All right? But there's the grace for enablement. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10. This is important. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10. I am what I am by the grace of God. The grace of God towards me was not in vain. So for some people, it's already it's even in vain. But it was not in vain for me. For I labored, I worked harder than any other person. Yet not I, but the grace that was at work in me. Are you following now? It was at work in me. So whatever I needed to do, at the time I need to do it, the grace is available for me to do it. That's the enabling grace. Now then, there is the grace that produces progress, that produces results, all right, that generates the results, the supernatural. And this is what you find here, it's also what you find, and I'll tell you how to, what to do to get that. I think that's the point I'm going to. Let's look at it. This is what you find then in Acts 4.33 and James 4.6. Let's look at it again. You see one of the first keys to this grace that produces result. James 4.6. It gives more grace. Immediately, the first thing you see here is that this particular grace can increase. The grace for salvation is the same for everybody. It has appeared to all men. Enabling grace, you can tap into it. But this particular grace is what makes us different in the body of Christ. It's the grace that produces the result. You can see here, it gives more grace. Listen, listen, please. It gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God, resist the proud but keep going please gives grace to the humble now listen very carefully all satan needs to do is to get you and i proud when you get to that point we have already reached our cap god is the one that will be pushing you down is to resist the proud now the good thing about god is this you know you have to understand romans eleven twenty nine. the gifts and the callings of god are without repentance so if god has given you something he won't take it back but it will be the last he will give that'll be the last level you can be in he won't take it back but he's living there because you know and Part of this humility, listen carefully. Some of these little, little fights we're fighting and you're trying to win arguments all over the place. Just say, I'm sorry. Humble yourself and just say, I'm sorry. When you say that, it sorts out the whole thing. Okay? You just, so like, that's what's going to allow you. You see, if you allow you winning an argument to deny you fulfilling your, maximizing your potential in life, God will ask you. He will ask you on the day of judgment. All these small, little, little arguments we're trying to win all over the place, having no manners of chorus, you, you know, you're looking for who's going to say, I'm sorry. Some people have never in their life said, I'm sorry. It, it's not in the African tradition. If I'm older than you, I can never tell you I'm sorry. It's in the African tradition, it's anathema. Why? Why? I'm older than you. I'm older than you. I'm one month older than you. <laughs> you don't know what you're losing. You are putting a concrete lead upon your life. It can't give you more grace. Humility is one of the ways to tap into more grace. Humility. Tap into more grace. Meekness. Lowliness. It helps you to tap in. If you look at Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. Can I, can I, I'm going to leave my slide alone and just I feel the Holy Spirit is hovering around this area. He wants to help somebody here. 
particularly some of these nitty-gritty husband and wife issues that they start having and one moves to another room, another one stays here, and they can't talk, they can't greet each other. They just take the child, your child. Shared custody, your child, take your child. I say, Father, take your child. What is all of that? In Christianity, Jesus Christ says it's because of hardness of heart. Hardness of heart is what has caused it. He said, you don't know what I'm going through. Hardness of heart. Jesus knows what you're going through, and he calls it hardness of heart. Hardness. And part of what you're losing the heart, just say, I'm sorry. You know, I've been married now 28 years and two months. One month. 28 years and one month. I've said, I'm sorry all the time. It's always in my pocket everywhere I go. <laughs> Do you know how many times I've said, I'm sorry? I don't win arguments. When you are younger, you win all the arguments. As you mature, you lose all the arguments. Yeah, it's a continuum. When you're younger, you're full of yourself. You're full of, you need to win everything because you're smarter than every woman being in the whole world. Because you're better than everybody, you win all the arguments. Maturity means as you continue to go, grow. You start winning some, losing some. Then you get to a point in life, you just intentionally lose it. So it's all right. It's okay. So did you understand what I'm saying? Everything. I understand everything. <laughs> uh, let me say this to you. Part of the reason why people don't understand is I saw a scripture in the Bible many, many years ago. And I'll show you right now. Let me say this. The fundamental environment in which there can be progress is peace. See? If there is no peace, there cannot be progress. If whatever you think you're seeing today that is progress is stagnation compared to what God wants to see in your life. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Acts 9, 31. Look at what it says. The churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. What's the first thing they had? Even before they were edified, what's the first thing they had? They had peace. Then they were edified, then walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit and the fear of God, they now were multiplied. So if you're going to ever, ever have, you know, progress, you can't have it without peace. Okay? You can't have it without peace. Praise the Lord. So all the things we do, all the things that we do, that we run around and we fight each other, okay, we've got to make sure that we have peace at all times. Where you can avoid the quarrel, avoid it. Where you can avoid the quarrel, avoid it. Where you need to say, I'm sorry, say it okay it's because of the progress you are going to make i've seen a lot in almost 24 years of doing this right now i've seen a lot i've seen many people's destiny lives completely limited now i, I know people and i don't want to go into too many stories here that are just limited now because they just can't do that. So it is this grace that multiplies that you cannot apply. When you resist the devil, it flees from you. That's the first thing. The second thing is 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. 2 Peter chapter 3 and the 18th verse, quickly. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the second thing that grows the grace. The first one is humility. The second one is growth in the knowledge. There's a specific growth knowledge. 
area. So it's not knowledge in everything. It's a specific knowledge area. It is the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ that the grace will grow in. Are you still with me? So the first one is humility. The second one is the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you need to start knowing Christ. Are you with me? You need to start knowing Christ more than you know Christ today. Yes, Christ died for you. You need to know him more than you know him today. What do you know about Christ? You know him as a savior. Do you know him more than that? Some people only know Christ as a savior. Some people I know him as a savior. I know him as a king. Do you know him more than that? Do you know who Christ is more than that? Well, when we come back to our Academy of Faith, we're going to look at that. Okay? Yeah. We're going to look at those kind of topics, you know, and break it down. You need to know who Christ is. Who is Jesus? All right? Who is Jesus? So that's how you grow in grace. Then you resist the devil. Then he flees from you. Benefits of spirit-led edification. Let's run through it quickly. So as the Holy Spirit begins to build you up, some things you begin to get. And this is how you know. It's both the benefits and how you know you're being built up. The first one is revelation knowledge. Okay? Revelation knowledge. That's the first one. Revelation knowledge. You know, what is revelation knowledge? Revelation knowledge is apocalypsis. It means something that is already there but that was now unveiled to you. It's always been there but it's unveiled to you. Another way of saying it is in Pentecostal system is rema. In other words, the voice of God behind the written word. The voice of God behind the written word that leads to inner persuasion, betting faith in you. That is the theological definition of Rema. Appearing 70 times in the New Testament. The voice of God behind the written word that leads to inner persuasion, betting faith in you. That is the definition of Rema. So that is revelation knowledge. It's there. All right? But Somehow, so for you, the way you interface and interact with it, Revelation knowledge is that you're reading your Bible, then the first thing is that it grabs your attention. A particular verse or phrase or verses grabs your attention. So when it grabs your attention, the Holy Spirit is calling your attention there, holding you down there. Stay here. I want to say something. And then it begins to speak to you from that verse or phrase. It might even be one word. It begins to speak to you. If somebody else takes it, they are not go- it's not going to apply to them in that particular area. Are you following what I'm saying? Luke 6.21. Put it on the screen for me. Luke 6.21. Let me just give you an example, a personal example. So Luke 6. Luke 6. Um, no, this is not the one actually. Um, where it says, um, um, now you sorrow, but then later on you will laugh. Find this verse for me in Luke chapter 6. You know, uh, this, you know, what it means generally, you know, I've told you in Academy of Faith, there's only one interpretation of the Bible. All right. You know, yeah, Luke 6, 25. No, 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 not this one. The, uh, the opposite of it, Luke 6, it says, now you weep, but later on you will laugh. Try and find it for me. So you find you find you find that there's only one interpretation. There's no private interpretation, but there are many depths of insight. So revelation knowledge is insight in the scriptures. All right. 
So the highest level of knowledge known to man is revelation knowledge, all right? So give me the Luke 6, 21. I think it's 21. I think I was right originally. All right. Go back to it. Luke 6, 21, please. If you go back, I just wanted to give you an example. Blessed are you who hunger you, for now, if you shall be filled. Go to the next thing. Okay, that's it. That's what I'm looking for. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Now, when you read this now, of course, the interpretation of what Jesus Christ is speaking is talking about those that are going to endure, okay, in the kingdom of God right now, in the future, you know, in redemption, when it comes to taking his bride home, we're going to laugh. That's interpretation. But it also has layers of insight. Are you still with me? One day I was reading this, we had just lost an opportunity to move the church from where we were in Lenwood Drive to a new building. The leaders, we've gone to see the building, we love the building, we prayed in the building, we've already, and we put in an offer for the building. Okay, we saw the building, I think it was on a Monday or Tuesday. We put in an offer on a Friday because it takes time to you know, come together, think about it, get all the input of all the leadership and all of that. We all agreed on it. Fantastic. Then we put in an offer on Friday. As we put in the offer on Friday, they told us that there was another offer that came in on Thursday, 24 hours before, and that offer has been accepted, and that was it. That's how we lost that property. It looks like we will never get anything close to it. That property was 40, between 40 and 50,000 square foot. It was not too far from the international center where the church was used to. So we all thought, my goodness, what can be better? Near international center has nice parking, you know, already zoned for church and all of that. You know, about 50,000 square foot. This is what we just need. And then we lost it. Just 24 hours. Then I, I got back home. I sat down. Well, I was reading my Bible, and, I, and this came to me. And my eyes could not leave this verse, and I stayed with it. Then suddenly, it made meaning to me on that situation. Blessed are you who weep now because of the one we've lost, for you shall laugh. You know, that was something else is coming. I called a member of the board, and I told her, I said, we are going to be getting another opportunity. I want you to be on a lot. Because she had traveled, I want you to be on a lot. Once we get an opportunity, so that immediately we can come together, we can look at it. And that's exactly what happened. That's why we, it is this scripture that brought us to this building. Now, the previous one we lost was about 12, 10 to 12 minutes or 15 minutes away from our last building that we used in Lenwood Drive. This one is five minutes drive from that. This one is bigger. This one is 75,000 square foot, you know, because of the revelation knowledge of God. Okay, it is the highest level of knowledge known to man. This is how Adam was to function in, in the Garden of Eden originally. If you have every kind of knowledge and you don't have revelation knowledge, you will not be able to work in the supernatural. The revelation knowledge is the qualifier to work, operate in the supernatural and manifest the supernatural. Are you hearing what I'm saying now, somebody? It's the highest level of knowledge, all right? So, Another benefit of edification is to begin to have confidence in God. Not just not confidence in yourself, not confidence in what you've done, but confidence in God. Let me wrap up quickly and move very fast and wrap this up. Some of you look a bit tired. You went to too many parties yesterday. Fearlessness before circumstances and opposition. Confidence in God. If you meet somebody that is genuinely confident in God, your first interaction with them will be that they're proud. 
That's what happened with Eliab and David. Eliab said, I see the pride and insolence of your heart. Because he was confident, he looked at Goliath and said, I'm going to take him off. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that they should defy the armies of God? I'm going to take him off. Fearlessness before circumstances and opposition. I've always said it by the grace of God. I said it under God's spirit, Holy Spirit. I fear no man. The fear of man is a snare. I fear no man. I respect everybody. Reverence, all of that. Deference, yes, but I fear nobody. I only fear God. I'm not inferior, neither am I superior to anybody. I'm not superior and I'm not inferior. Job 13 verse 2, Job 12 3. Nobody can intimidate me. Nobody. The person is not working on this earth that will intimidate me. It's not possible. I'm not inferior. I'm not superior, but I'm not inferior. I know who I am in Christ. Fearlessness. Fearlessness. Before circumstance and opposition. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of tomorrow. This, I, you know, listen to me. I should end it. End it. Let's continue. End it. Continue. Genesis 1.28. And he blessed them and said, be fruitful. Means produce results. Multiply. Let the results extend. Then he says, replenish. In other words, even if they take your fruitfulness and they take your multiplication, but because you know what you did to be fruitful and to multiply, you will replace the result. That's what replenish means. You will replace the result. I can repeat what it. If you saw my fruitfulness, I can repeat it. If you saw my multiplication, I can repeat it. And if the enemy comes, I will subdue it. And that's when I now have dominion. This is how it works. If you have not gotten to the point where you can repent, some people are afraid of their own success because they don't know how they got there. They don't know what it took to get there. They're afraid. How? Why are you afraid of where you got to? You're afraid. You had a dream and you're afraid of what tomorrow will look like. I once had a dream. I went to open heavens and I went into the hall and I was the only one in the hall and there was nobody else. Then I woke up. I said, Satan, you're a liar. Of all the people in this world, I know my wife will have been here. <laughs> so obviously, this is wrong. It's not possible. Say that you're a liar. You're a liar. You had a dream. You're panicking. Why? Because you don't know the God you're serving. You don't know the God you're serving. You can repeat the result. Ah, thank you, Lord. There's hope for a tree, even if it is cut down. Job 14 verse 7, I think we should just close it here today. There's hope for a tree even if it is cut down. It shall bear fruit again. Give it to me, Job 14 verse 7 to 9. I want to pray for somebody here right now. Job 14 verse 7 to 9. Come on, son. There's hope for a tree even if it is cut down. It will sprout again. It will sprout again. For somebody here, you might look like you have been cut down, but I'm here prophesying into your life. You will sprout. You will sprout again. Online family, you're there. Today, it looks to be cut down. You will sprout again. Verse 8 says, even if the situation is very, very bad, though its root may grow old in the earth, please stop considering your age. And the stump may even die in the ground. Whatever organ is dead in your body or is dying in your body, the Bible says in verse 9, at the scent of water, it shall sprout again. Bring forth branches like a plant. Your career that was cut down, it will rise again. 
Your business that was cut down, it will rise again. Destiny that was cut down, it will rise again. Your family that was cut down will rise again. Your children that were cut down will rise again. You will rise again. You will rise again. Can somebody please, if you agree, shout with me, I will rise again. If you really agree, shout with me, I will rise. I want your shout to bother the person sitting next to you. One more time. Why are you saying this? You are declaring into the realm of the spirit. Your mouth is your own trumpet. When you say, I will rise again, you are agreeing with the forces of the supernatural to come in and help you to rise again. One more time. Is it okay if you say it together? I will rise again. Open your mouth and begin to thank the Almighty God right now. Let's close it here today. You will rise again. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter how far they've cut you down. It doesn't matter. You went up. They cut you down. You've lost some things. You lost some businesses. You lost a part of your career. You lost something. But you are going to rise again. Your latter end shall be greater than your former. From your beginning. Though your beginning is small, your latter end shall greatly increase. The glory, the future glory of this temple shall be far greater than his former glory. You will rise again. Man might have cut you down, but you will rise again. Situation cut you down, you will rise again. Circumstances cut you down, you will rise again. The enemy cut you down, you will rise again. You will rise again. You will rise again. You will rise again. again. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. I have a prophetic word for somebody that I had in my spirit. Okay, in this house, just in case you're wondering, we do, we believe in the ministry of the word, Acts chapter 6, verse 4. We also believe in the ministry of the spirit. And by the ministry of the spirit, I perceive somebody here. And I declare this word that God has put in my spirit over you. The best of you is yet to be seen. The best of you is yet to be seen. The best of your children is yet to be seen. The best of your career is yet to be seen. The best of your business is yet to be seen. Father, I receive this. The best of you is yet to be seen. Now, I want you to do this, personalize it. The best of me is yet to be seen. Come on, declare three times. The best of me is yet to be seen. The best of me is yet to be seen. One last time. The best of me is yet. This is the word of God concerning this over there. Please stop looking back. Stop looking back. Stop romancing the past glories. It's okay. Draw strength from your past victories. Draw strength from your past testimonies. David did that. Draw strength from the credibility you've gained behind. But understand, there's so much more land to conquer. The best of you is yet to be seen. The best of you is yet to see. On the authority of God's word, I declare by somebody here, you will go from glory to glory. The person knows who they are. You will go from glory to glory. You will go from glory to glory. I'd like you to watch out. 90 days from today, you will receive your first major promotion. 
like you to write it down. 90 days from this day, you will receive your first major promotion of this year. The first major lifting 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 of this year. In the name of Jesus. As I'm ministering to you right now, I perceive a lot of grace being dispensed. Within the next 90 days, your first major testimony of this year will be in your hands. In the name of Jesus Christ, I exercise authority under the supreme priesthood of Jesus Christ today, and I say over you, Whatever will resist what God wants to do in your life this day, I come against it by the authority of Christ. I rebuke it in Jesus' mighty name. Whatever will not allow you to be restored to a higher position after you have been cut down, I rebuke it in Jesus' name. Forces of darkness, take your dirty hands off her career. Take your hands off his career. Take your hands off his businesses. Take your hands off her businesses. Take your hands off his destiny. Take your hands off her destiny. In the name of Jesus Christ. If you have not said amen at all throughout, please say amen to this one. I speak on the authority of the word of God. You will not sorrow this year. You will not regret this year. You will not sorrow this year. You will not regret this year. Thank you, Lord. Your basket shall be full of testimonies. In the name of Jesus. When men say there is a casting down, you will say there is a lifting up. Exodus chapter 1, verse 7. Put it on the screen for me. So I pray for the people of God. Exodus chapter 1, verse 7. But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty. And the land was filled with them. Give me the verse where it says, the more they afflicted them, the more they increased. Shafa katafaskayana. Find the verse for me. It's in chapter 1. I pray, every affliction you've been through, every challenge, okay, it's verse 12. The more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were in dread. The more they afflicted them, everything you've gone through, in the name of Jesus Christ, it turns around into a testimony for you. It turns around into a testimony for you. In the name of Jesus. Whatever has been thrown on your path to be an obstacle becomes a miracle for you. I, I, I know it was just for one person. Whatever has been thrown in your path to be an obstacle today becomes a miracle for you. Whatever stopped other people will not stop you. Whatever stopped others will not stop you. What stopped the children of others will not stop you. In the name of Jesus Christ. Ah, you will not sorrow by your children. You will not sorrow by your family. You will not sorrow by your children. You will not sorrow by your family. In the name of Jesus Christ. Good news is coming your way. That's right. I know it's for the sister at the back. Maybe it's for the one online. Good news is coming your way. Maybe I should remind you that when we say amen in church, we are, we are homologous. We are confessing, agreeing with the conclusion of God. We are agreeing with the conclusion. Good news is coming your way. 
in the name of Jesus Christ. Lift those hands and thank him for this morning. Thank you for today. What God has done in your life today. Come on, go ahead. Glorify his name. Glory to your holy name. Thank you and thank you, Lord. I appreciate you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Be exalted, O oh God. Be glorified, O oh God. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. This is the end of the message. We are sure that you have been blessed. For more information, please visit our website at www.houseofpraise.ca. God bless you.